Though the effluvium might have hit around midnight, the Gentle Mermaid's feast hall and gambling house was still crowded when it struck. Unconscious patrons sprawl at card and dice tables, their bets knocked into one another. Were they awake, you imagine, they might regard this as a greater disaster than the destruction of Waterdeep. The croupiers, the attendants who collect bets and pay winnings, also sleep the troubled sleep of Ithluvian. The numbered wheel you assume to be and wheel of chance, though you think you never saw one in life. Atop it sits a small creature with bright eyes. It looks down at the gamblers with curiosity, suiting its very curious appearance. It glances at you, then returns to its examination of the others. Is anyone with you, besides the cerebrical and the weasel? If so, go to 146A. If you've been to the Gentle Mermaid before in this adventure, stop reading here and go immediately to 111G. If this is your first time you've been here in this adventure, keep reading. May you try to speak with the odd monster perched upon the wheel? and go to 61A, leave 108G, or look around as you like. And then I've got a choice of looking at the Wheel of Chance, uh, a random woman, coins, a croupier, or the other patrons. I guess if I turn, yeah, if I flip the page, there is... Uh, I see. And yeah, so all the other patrons are on the floor. They're in front of me from my view. There's a croupier, and then there's a lady that sort of sprawled across her things. And then the creature itself looks very much like a, a troglodyte, essentially sat on the wheel. Weirdly, I thought the Wheel of Fortune was like a, a standing up one. This one's in the middle. It's a roulette wheel. Um, I think I might as well just talk to the creature, to be honest with you. I don't really want to disturb anyone else just now. Uh, so I'll do that. So that is on 61A is where I've got to go to next. All right. I will speak with the odd monster perched the wheel. You know you never saw a creature such as this in life. What do you do here? You ask experimentally. Oh, I'm just an adjutant. But my duties are not pressing, so I simply muse upon the impulse to gamble, says the creature in perfect speech, its modulated voice sounding in your head as undead voices do. So alien to my nature, it continues, though not to my plane of origin. Does the urge to risk spring from a faith that the universe works for the individual's benefit? Or is it to merely add zest to an otherwise humdrum life? Ah, um, I'm not sure. Do you yourself believe in a beneficent universe? The burning in your lungs grows more intense. How you long for a breath of air. How you wish you knew a reason that you suffocate. No, you answer. How much randomness do we want in life? Take yourself, for instance. If the universe does not actively work for good, in your view, then perhaps chance will produce malign results, but it may prove equally favourable. For a demonstration, would you like to spin this wheel? I shall guarantee a truly random happening, for good, or ill, or indifferent. Why? What are you? What sort of happening? Will you spin the wheel, my pessimistic friend? You may take up this creature on its offer and spin the wheel, talk with it further, attack it, ignore it and look around, or you may leave. Mm, okay, I don't want to attack it. Uh, maybe I'm trying to play like an Undertale version of this game has not worked so far. Um, I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to leave. I kind of want to talk to it more before I spin the wheel. So I'm going to do that. Um, if I want to talk to it further, I need to go to 16B, so I'll do that now. Your many questions require answers. I cannot spin that wheel, you tell the adjutant. 
At least until you tell me more of yourself and your purpose here. I supervise the big fellow's interests, says the adjutant. Much of his power centres on this little particle you call a city. Or, more precisely, just beneath it. I'll say nothing more about that. The big fellow might be interested in this gambling phenomenon, though I imagine he knows everything of it. Who is this big fellow? Now, stop being so nosy. I will speak no more on that either. The creature looks quite irritated. Will you persist in your questioning? Attack? Take up the adjutant on its offer and spin the wheel? Or ignore the monster and look around? Or you may leave. Mm, if the creature looks irritated, I don't want to push that. Because that could be quite bad for me in the long run. What big fellow, though? That's kind of worrying. Big fellow... I suspect that's not necessarily one of the liches. It's probably someone I've not met yet. Or it could be the hero in the Hall of Heroes. Perhaps, maybe. I think it's someone I've not met yet. But I think, let's leave it to chance. Let's go spin the wheel, take it up on its offer. So I now need to go to 116A. I have many questions, you tell the adjutant. But if it will satisfy you, I shall spin the wheel. Oh, fine, excellent, most fine indeed, says the monster, leaving onto the betting table and clapping its various limbs together. Give it a whirl, madam. You pull hard on the nearest side of the spoked wheel, and it makes a whir and a blur as it spins. What sort of event will occur, you ask? The creature makes no reply. The rising sound slows and slows, becoming a metronome's chick, 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 slower and slower. The wheel stops. Travel, the adjutant says. And the casino disappears. Oh, fuck. A moment of grey and a new place springs into form about you. Mark off the time you spent at the gambling hall and assume you will spend half an hour in your new location. Fuck, I've not even gone to the gambling hall. I just got there. All right, so I was at two and a half hours, I think. So, so I'm guessing I'm at three and a half hours. Damn. Where have you reappeared? Roll the die to find the section you turn to. And then it's obviously got all 12 numbers and then the sections for each number. So let's leave this to chance. Oh, God, I wish I was back at the... I wish I hadn't done this. Oh, well, let's go for it. Rolling the dice now. That is a nine. So a nine is 76A. All right, let's find out what awaits me at 76A. Oh, gosh. Okay. Amongst the poor dwellings of the Southern Ward, Capian's Flamastri's home is a small, rich two-story building. It stands as conspicuous as the wizard himself would amongst a crowd of shopkeepers. The house's front door has been torn from its hinges, it lies on the street, yards away from the doorway. Cautiously, sword in hand, you enter the home. Inside, it is more obvious that the other dead have arrived before you. Hmm. The house is stripped bare of possessions. Every stick of furniture has been taken. Every hanging and painting and decoration on the walls pulled down and carried away. Operating on the assumption that anything in the wizard's house could be magical, the hordes left only litter and wreckage. But wait, you hear shrieking and wailing upstairs. Still cautious, you ascend the stairs and creep down a hallway. Before you quite reach the open door ahead, 
you feel invisible waves of magical energy beating at you, feebly trying to force you back. From within your armour, the cerebral announces, Warding magic against evil undead. So that's it. Undead you are, but not evil. This magic has little effect upon you. Or, you realise as you reach the doorway, upon the ghosts. This study is lit by a brazier standing atop a tall bronze tripod, and the light illuminates a scene out of a nightmare. At this room's centre is an elliptical, unbroken line of chalk, a wizard's protective ward. Outside it, beings of horror circle, screaming. Monstrous things, ghosts, spirits, haunts, the incorporeal undead. Winged skulls with snapping jaws, insect eyes and rendering mandibles. Spindly humanoid things with rubbery mouths and sharp teeth, uttering cries of hatred. The two targets of their hate stand within the protective ward. One, a tall, thin man wearing traditional wizard's robes, brandishing his staff, desperately against the intangible enemies. The other, a girl of perhaps 16, has an ingenue innocence in her features. Bugh. She wears the practical garb of a wizard's apprentice, and an expression of terror. Given the magical equipment at their feet, you suspect they were engaged in potion research when the effluvian hit. Their protective ward, intended to confine the magical accidents to the boundaries of their own area, served instead to fend off the effluvian's attack. Their life spirits still glow brightly. But how long can the ward last? Again and again the spirits hurl themselves at the invisible barrier protecting the two humans. With each attack they seem to penetrate a nail's breadth farther into the barrier. Soon they will break through. To rescue the wizard and the apprentice, the only two humans you've seen awake in Waterdeep, you may attack the ghosts, try to trace them away, or try to persuade them to depart. If you merely stand aside and watch what happens go to 122E. To depart, leaving the humans to their fate, go to 65E, or you may look around. And then there's options to investigate the chalk circle, the wizard's staff, the wizard's flask, apprentice amulet, mortar and pestle, small sacks, brazier, and tripod, and furnishings in the room. Uh, oh, the picture's pretty cool. Wow. It's, uh, I'm not happy with the description of the, the girl of 16. Um, she definitely looks older in the picture, so I'm, I'm mm, not 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 happy about it. But of course, I want to rescue them. They might be able to help me. <sighs> I'm back up to full hit points, so I should try and fight the ghosts. I don't know if chasing them away will help, or persuading them to depart. I tell you what, I'm going to roll for it because I don't. I feel like the easiest way is to try and kill them, but I don't know how many of the ghosts there are. That is an issue. But I do feel like trying to chase them away might work, but it might not seem like I'm helping to the wizard and the apprentice. Or I could try to persuade them to go, that might help, but then again, they don't. So that's the chance. So I'm going to say one to four combat, five to eight, uh, chase them away, and then nine to 12, persuade them. Oh, that's a nine. Okay, we'll try and persuade them. So, all right, I'm going to try and persuade these ghosts to go away and leave the wizard and the apprentice in peace, and let's go to 75A to find out if I am successful. Hold, spirits! You cry in the voice of the undead that only they can hear. Leave these humans be. They have done nothing to you. They are nothing to you. Depart. Your masters have other duties for you. The roiling cloud of spirits moves a little apart from the protective ward and stop battering it for a moment. One of the spirits 
A grinning skull set atop a flowing sheet-like body, with white flames dancing in its eye sockets, separates from the cloud and hovers before you. Its jaw clacks and clatters. Nothing to us, it replies. They are everything to us. Everything we are not. Everything we should be. They are alive. It rises to hover directly over the cowering humans. Look at him, hale and hearty, enjoying the twilight of a prosperous life. And her. Oh, wretchedness. See the bloom of youth on her cheek. See the years of life stretching before her. If we do not destroy her, she will not only live, she may bear young and add to the horrid ranks of the living. Join us, sweep aside their barrier, help us destroy them. With a wild cry wrenched from the depths of its pain, the ghost again hurls itself against the ward, joined by its intangible allies. You'll get nowhere talking to these lunatics, says the weasel. Return to 76A and choose again. Bugger. All right. <sighs> Fine. All right, we're back here again. <sighs> Persuading them didn't help. Will chasing them away help? I don't... I don't know. <sighs> ah, okay, okay, okay. I... Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm going to try and chase them away. I assume that's going to lead it into fighting anyway, right? Be silly not to. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to 31D. I'm going to try and chase the ghosts away. Oh, Do you carry a hand mirror from the Dragon Tower? If so, stop reading here and go immediately to 104B. Or what? No. If you do not have a mirror, you must do this the hard way. Ah! You brandish your blade, and in the deaf speech only your enemies hear, you cry, Depart, spirits! These humans are beyond your punishment. If you continue your attack, I will destroy you and strip you of your last vestige of existence. The buzzing cloud of spirits rises from the protective ward. Eyes, some insectoids, some humans, some changing in aspect, regard you. And then the spirits laugh. Hideous, shrill, shrieking laughter fit to shatter glass. Then, ignoring you, they return to battering the magical ward. Hmm, not so good, says the weasel. Nice speech, dramatic, but they're not buying it. Return to 26A and choose another approach. Ugh, oh, that's so frustrating. The Dragon Tower falls, that's... Well, I haven't been there. I don't know even know where that is. All right, back again. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so, this sucks. Um, I am going to... I'm going to attack the ghosts. I, I, I try to persuade them. I tried to scare them away. Neither of those have been successful. It's time to fight. Let's go. Fight these ghosts. 74F. With a swordsman flourish and a mighty oath that the living cannot hear, you wade into the undead, swinging, thrusting, parrying. As shown on the combat table, this cluster of ghosts fights as one opponent, striking you on a roll of ten or less. Ugh. Each time they hit, they drain you of eight unlife points. Oh my god, if you successfully strike the cloud of undead five times before you're defeated, you have won. The ghosts and other monsters will disperse, so go to 136D. If you lose, you become one of their number, possessed by the same rages animating your opponents. Your adventure ends here. If, after at least one full round of combat, you find yourself overwhelmed by the undead, you may flee, leaving the humans to their fate. Ooh, check evidence box D on your bookmark if you do so, and go to 
63E. Oh, okay. So, they, oh god, they fight as one. I need to hit them at least five times. Okay. Reminder of the rules. I have to get a seven or under in order to hit the ghosts, and I drain them of eight points if I do that. They have to get me on a ten or under, and then they hit me for eight. So I can take a couple of hits, but I need five hits. Okay, so the first one, I'm going to attack first. I swing my sword. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a nine. No hit. Okay. Oh, they hit me on their first one, so I lose eight hit points. So I'm at 42. Not good. All right. My turn. A two. Huzzah. Okay, I hit. One hit. Okay, four more. Uh, a couple of skulls come for my kneecaps. <laughs> but I, I definitely dodge out the way on that 11. Oh. Okay, so it's one for one. Oh, another nine. God, I'm rolling all these nines. No, not not a hit there. Their turn. Oh, balls. That's a two. So that's another eight points of damage to me. So now I'm on 36. That is another nine. Damn it. Oh my god, I rolled so poorly. Okay, so I still only hit once. They've hit twice. Their turn. Oh, that's another 11. They come for my other kneecap and I switch out the way. Whoa. Aha! Oh, I thought that was another nine. No, it is a six. So I hit them again. Two hits, three to go. Their turn. Oh, I rolled a 12. Oh, they are all surrounding me at this point. They're going for all, all my different limbs and I'm just wailing on them. Come on. Four. Yes. Two more. Two more to go. So I've, I've hit them three times. Their turn. That is a six, unfortunately. They hit me, so that is uh, about 28 hit points. It's all right, I've got this, I've got this. Okay, come on, seven or under. Oh, it's an 11. Okay, okay. Their turn. Oh, that's a nine. Damn it, they hit me again, so that is, I'm at 20 hit points. Oh, no. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll reassess, we'll reassess once this is done. Okay, my turn. Come on, I gotta get seven or under. Oh, four. Okay, I might be in this. I've got four. I need to do one more hit. It's their turn. Come on, roll a 12. Oh, God, that's a one. Okay, I'm on 12 hit points. Oh, okay, I can take one more hit. Come on. Okay, seven or under. My final chance. I'm feeling weak. <laughs> that's three holy shit i've done it oh my heart was going there on 12 hit points severely weakened i just get my magical uh, sword and i just helicopter it around my head and then a huge slashing motion as they fall down oh god oh oh <laughs> this is actually quite intense dice rolling like this oh my goodness okay I don't even remember what page I was on. I can look it up in a second. Okay, so they disperse. I go to 136D. Let's go. I've rescued the wizard and the apprentice. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Your sword tears through the ghosts in immaterial flesh, destroying them one by one. As you drive them back, small magical bolts of energy erupt from the protective circle, annihilating still more spirits. 
The wizard and his apprentice are helping you. Moments later, most of the spooks are destroyed, the rest fleeing, still screaming. You turn to face the living. By their expressions, hope and gratitude warring with doubt and suspicion, they don't know quite what to make of you. Do you have a speaking stone? If so, go to 11A. If not, go to 42B. I do have a speaking stone. I got it when I went to the house in the North Ward. Ah, <laughs> this is so exciting. I genuinely can't believe it. Oh, I feel I'm getting somewhere. This is brilliant. All right, let's go. Let's go. I, I have the speaking stone. I'm Shalara, and this is my master, Capian Flamaster. Young apprentice says, wonder in her voice. Ugh, do you understand me? I do. She continues, We are preparing a potion of giant strength at the last midnight. Then these awful hordes of ghosts broke in. We were protected by our wards, but no one else has come to save us, so we've had to resist them alone all this time. It has been terrible. Where is everyone? Not pausing for an answer, the breathless apprentice speeds on. What's worse, Master Capian has been um, afflicted by a side effect of the potion preparation. His mind has gone a little, well, astray. It happens sometimes. Uh, the wizard says succinctly, uh, Oh god, uh, Khazar Ephraim's Gork. It's a good thing I can translate, says Shalara. Master wants you to tell us who you are, and what you are, and why one of the undead fought against others to save us. My name is not important, you tell her. Classic. It might be if you remember, of course. I seek the pieces of the Staff of Waterdeep, not to aid the undead that blight the city, but to destroy them. Wide-eyed, Shalara stands on tippy-toe to whisper the at length into Capian's ear. He nods abruptly and looks to you, though doesn't seem to focus on you, and makes a simple mythic gesture. A pure yellow glow passes from his hand into you, and back into his hand in a blink of an eye. You feel nothing, but he nods, satisfied. Taking a deep breath, he announces loudly, Gabingo! Chow mesh, ha ha, abrogate, zmak. Master says you speak the truth. Shalara translates. I hate to tell you this, pipes at the weasel, but that's pure gibberish. He's nutty as a pecan cake. Capion continues, gesturing at the room's wall, at the ceiling, at his nose, and at his left eye. Zorora stun, bolongo, kaf kaf, kronging knoll, and the spleen. Smiling, Shalara again translates. Master says you're as nutty as a pecan cake because you speak to imaginary rodents, but that your heart is pure. If you save our lives, he will give you the peace he provided to Kelben for the staff of Waterdeep. Imaginary? Whistle splutters. What imaginary? You hear me? You hear them? What's the difference? In the next room, continues Shalara, behind the door as it opens, rap three times on the wall. A secret panel will open. Inside is a wand. If you bring this to us, we can get out of here and Capian will give you the piece of the staff. Please, she adds desperately. Don't do it, sniffs the weasel. She called me a rodent. But the rancor of a dead weasel is a small price to pay for a piece of the staff. You go into the next room, rap thrice upon the wall, and retrieve the silvery wand revealed there. Back in the study, you push the wand into the protective circle. It crosses the wall without resistance, and Shalara gratefully takes it. Now, she says, reach into the brazier. And for the next few moments, the fire won't hurt you. That's where we put the piece of the staff. You touch the brazier, fighting back fear. And she is right. The flames feel cool to you. You reach in and bring out a section of the staff made of pure ruby, shining in the light of the brazier's flames. 
check off the ruby piece on your bookmark list when you take it. It does not count towards your limit of possessions. Go to 156A to find out more about the staff of Waterdeep and this piece of it, but first make a note of this section, 11A, so you may return to it after you've finished there. All right, fantastic. I have, I have a piece of the staff. All right, let's find out more about it. Let's go to 156A. The Staff of Waterdeep is the most recent creation of the Archmage of Waterdeep, Kelben Blackstaff Arison. This good wizard has produced powerful items in the past, but in the staff, he has surpassed himself. The Cerebrical tells you of the staff's history. Kelben heard from an oracle that the major peril had threatened his city, danger from those who sleep not. Presuming that this meant the undead, the wizard created a rod able to destroy or resurrect the undead amongst the most powerful effects of necromatic magic. To prepare the staff, Kelben collected materials representing the best of life. Love, honour, piety, bravery, joy. Each of these items he gathered embodied these virtues, and in addition they imbued the staff with mythical powers their histories had accrued. Kelben kept his staff in his own tower, thinking it impenetrable but he did not reckon on the wizardry of the liches, Harunt and Abraxa. On the night the effluvium was to penetrate the city, they lured Kelben away on false pretexts, then assaulted the tower with all the strength at their command. Though hundreds of their undead servants perished against Kelben's defences, Abraxa managed to lay its hands on the staff. Then Kelben's brilliant guardian enchantment came into play. At the touch of an evil being, the staff broke apart, and its components reverted to their original forms and flew across the city to their old locations. The liches, could not foil the, con the liches could not foil the concealment spell that hid their whereabouts. Thus, Abraxa charged you to find the pieces, whilst Harunt, mistrustful of its partner, employed its own seekers. Abraxa thinks that, like most undead, you are a servant of evil. The lich assumes you will secure the pieces without touching them directly. Oh, oh shit, okay. Alright, that's good to know. There are 12 pieces of the Staff of Waterdeep, each made of a different material and each about 6 inches long. To learn the history of a piece you have found, go to the section indicated. Do not look at the section until you have found its piece. The Cerebrical states that neither it nor you can learn of the Staff's abilities or how to use them until you wield the Staff in combat. When the need to use it in combat appears, the text will tell you what section to read in order to learn how to use the Staff. Oh, that's a little bit uh, telling of the future there, isn't it? Alright, Ruby... I have to go to 124C to find out what that does. The ruby was found in a perilous dungeon by an adventurer called Kieran, or Karen, I think, who treasured it above all other possessions. The Cerebrical relates how, when Karen's adventuring companion and longtime friend took ill, Karen unhesitatingly offered the ruby as payment to the wizard who cured him. Recognising its value, the wizard felt honour bound to refuse the ruby but Karen insisted. The wizard took the stone, but he felt he could not rightly keep it. He therefore turned it into a healing stone, here in what is now Capian's home, and gave it to an order of healers. There it was used to heal many people. Return to the text you are now reading. Will it heal me? Oh, I hope so. It's quite shit to be on 12 hit points. It's a misty hula plas gik gik and endomorph, announces the wizard. Shalara translates. Master says you may have one other item to aid your quest. The wondrous potion he carries, able to remedy the most grievous injury. Oh. And then her voice drops to a murmur, or my little amulet, that 
What? You say? That it gives some small protection from attack. The apprentice repeats a hair more loudly. If you choose a healing potion, go to 108B. If you choose the amulet, go to 25D. If you choose Neva, you express your thanks to them, and she expresses theirs to yours. Then, with a flourish of the wand, the wizard makes them both, along with the objects within the protective ward, disappear. You wish them well, wherever they went. Quick turn around the room with the cerebral informs you that there's nothing else of interest here. It is time to leave. And you can go to 65E to leave. Well, I feel... I don't want to... Why would I want to steal her amulet from her? I mean, I could do with not being hit as much, but I, unfortunately, I have really... I've really suffered a lot from that thing, so I'm going to take the health potion. That's 108B. The flask, you say. The wizard, agreeable, unhooks it from his belt and tosses it to you. You express your thanks to them, and she expresses theirs to yours. With a flourish of the wand, the wizard begins an incantation, and then suspends it, suddenly looking at you strangely. Kaflango, Nachiloto, Faraday seizure, he announces. Oh, says Shalara, Master has just remembered that you are one of the living dead. He says the potion will harm you if you drink it, so don't. But you can give it to a living person and it will help them. Then Capian finishes his gestures, causing them and all the objects within the protective ward to disappear. You hope that the destination is beyond the effects of the effluvian. You may take the flask with you. It counts as a possession, of course. If you take it, mark it on your sheet and then write 47G next to it. If you decide to drink it, note the section you are on, then go to 47G to see the results of the potion's use and then return to your current section. A quick trip through the room with a cerebral informs you there is nothing else useful here. It is time to leave. Go to 65E. Well, that's annoying, but at the same time, maybe that help potion can help me in other ways. Balls. Ah, so frustrating. I need to be healed. You depart the sad scene, descending to ground level and leaving the home of Capian Flowmaster behind. Mark off your time here if you haven't already. A tavern that interests the cerebral, the full cup lies within half an hour's walk in the southern ward. To investigate it, go to 84A. If you don't want to find out why the tavern interests the shrunken skull, go to 82A to pick another place to visit. Now, I remember now, because uh, I might have listened back to an earlier part of this, I wasn't supposed to give the shrunken head alcohol. <sighs> so that's a bit cross-making. But at the same time, I... It, I shouldn't leave anything untouched, right? I can go to the full cup. If it's rubbish, I can leave. So that's no problem. So I will go to the southern ward. I will go to the full cup and see what's there. So in order to do that, I need to go to 84A. I'm now at 4am in the morning. I think I've got enough time. So I should be okay. Reaching the corner of Coach Street and Carter's Way, both of them, by their smells, fully justifying the allusion to horses, you choose to enter the premises of one of the Southern Ward's seediest taverns, the Full Cup. You must have seen hundreds like it in life. At least, you think so. You don't remember. A scarred bar stands against the wall. Racks and rows of bottles behind it. Stools lined before it. All around the tavern, living human patrons lie slumped, felled by the effluvian, in positions not so different from those of drunkenness. Many tables and chairs have been smashed as if in a fight. Check the time on your bookmark. If it is between 6am and 7pm, now go to 140D. If it is before 6am or after 7pm, keep reading. Oh, balls. It's before. Okay. A fight is in progress. 
the type of tavern brawl every adventurer sees during their career, but this one is different. Four ghouls, the ragged corpse eaters of the legions of undead, are locked in combat with what can only be a vampire, one of the aristocrats of the undead. The vampire is pale and young, dressed in the garments of the most stylish fashion, his face drawn into an expression of rage and animal ferocity. Over his head, beyond the grasping hands of the ghouls, ooh, he holds what looks like an ivory figurine wrapped in dark velvet. The ghouls bear weapons whilst the vampire is unarmed, but it looks like an even fight. With his free hand, the vampire slashes at the ghouls with ferocity and precision, like a martial artist. In another context, his grace might seem attractive. You may help the ghouls against the vampire, help the vampire against the ghouls, attack them all, or you can simply watch the fight to its conclusion, or leave, or you may look at the bottles or painting. Anything else is still being fought over. And then the options are, like, ghouls weapons currently out, a figurine currently out, cloth around the figurine currently out, bottles can do, painting can do. I think I need to get that figurine somehow. Um, I am going to help the vampire against the ghouls if I can. I am only on 12 hit points though. But it's it seems unfair. It seems like an even fight. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think out of the, all of them, I should help the vampire fight. But I think this is going to be... This could be it, right? This could easily be it. Okay, um, let's go help this vampire out the ghouls. That's 147B. Let's go. This is no fight. It's butchery. With each blow, the vampire strikes down one ghoul. With each blow, you strike down a ghoul. In a matter of seconds, the two of you, undead paladin and vampire, stand regarding one another, surrounded by corpses of corpses. Roll the die. On a 1 to 4, you've lost 4 unlife points. On a 5 to 8, you've lost 2 unlife points. On a 9 to 12, you are unhurt during the fight. If this damage reduces you to 0 unlife points, your adventure is over. If you survive, keep reading. Okay, so, I can survive this fight. But ideally, I don't want to lose much. So uh, hopefully anything above a five will be great. Or anything above a nine will be great. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Oh, <laughs> I rolled a four. I'm on eight unlife points. God damn it. The vampire's lip curls as he regards you. You needn't stand around waiting for my thanks. I didn't need your aid. What do you want? Staring at me with those sunken, sallow eyes of yours. Oh, I see. He clutches the velvet-wrapped ivory object closer to him. You may not have it. It is mine. Go find your own. He is careful not to touch the figurine with his hands. The velvet cloth is wrapped carefully around the figurine. Ooh, it's a piece. It's a piece of the staff. You can't touch it. He can't touch it, whereas I can touch it. Okay. Will you ask the vampire about his bundle? Attack or ignore him and look around. Well, I don't want to attack him. I won't win. I will ask him, and then and then I'll leave him. Like I I I'm in no position to fight. But I did just help him. Just saying. Um. But yeah, fifty six A. I'm gonna ask about the bundle. What is that figurine? You ask. Why are you so protective of it? The vampire smiles a smile of pure vanity. This, he says, holding the figurine aloft is a piece of a powerful device called the Staff of Waterdeep. I doubt one of your station has heard of it. I'm doing a favour for Harrant, 
a being of great power. Harrant seeks the staff for his own amusement, and he said that one of the pieces was ivory. I suspected where to look for it. You see, in life, I knew an ivory carver, an artist of the old school. My family commissioned work from him while I lived. That must have been centuries past now. Has time fled so fast? But I digress. I recall that the artist had done a figurine of the goddess Lyra, regarded as his masterwork. I might have purchased it myself had I not been lifted into life about that time. Instead, it went to a temple nearby. As the staff's creator is a mage of discriminating tastes, I imagine he would choose the statuette for his staff. Of course, I imagined correctly. It's a rare piece of information, the sort that only one born and bred in high society would know. Harant, for all his power, has not the sophistication one needs for such tasks such as this. It didn't take long for me to find the thing, but as I was leaving the temple, those loathsome peasants assailed me, as you saw. They thought they might acquire glory through serving Harant, but glory finds those who merit it. He gives you a mocking little bow, his story done. This vampire fop has a piece of a staff. You must have it. Will you attack the vampire, or will you bribe it to give it to you? Uh, I'm going to have to try to bribe. Oh, I don't know if this is going to work. Oh, I need the piece of the staff. I'm going to try. I can't attack it. I'm on eight hit points. Stupid. Maybe if I can give him the potion. Hopefully I can give him the potion. Let's go to 34C and try and bribe the vampire to give me the statuette. I must have that figurine, you tell the vampire, and I will have it. But I would rather trade than wage battle. What will you accept for the figurine? The vampire laughs incredulously. What could you have I might possibly want? Not your clothes, surely. A hermit would throw you out of his cave should you enter wearing those rags. He looks you over in an amused scorn, and then becomes thoughtful. Now, you do have a fine weapon, though. I will admit a certain yen for that blade, and I can always tell Harrant I found nothing. Oh. Yes, give me the sword, and I will give you the ivory statuette. He extends his hand to receive the sword. Will you give the vampire your sword for the figurine? Risk angering the vampire by offering the sword, but demanding he give you the figurine first, or attack? Well, I do have another sword. I have the, uh the scarred sword from before. So I won't be without a weapon, necessarily. I wish I could give that weapon, but it's obviously not as nuanced as that. Oh, I, I wish I had more hit points. <laughs> um, I am going to give this vampire my sword. Let's do that. Okay, 51F. You unbuckle your sword belt and hand the belt, scabbard and blade to the vampire. Oh, <laughs> he unsheaves the thing, looking over it with an appreciative eye. A beautiful weapon, he admits. Then, with a swordsman's skill, a vampire strength and your own good sword, he proceeds to strike your head from your body. Your adventure is over. Ah! Oh! Oh! Rubbish! Rubbish, I say. Well, that's annoying. I should have seen that coming, to be honest with you. I wouldn't have survived that fight. I'm just saying that now. That is really frustrating. I sh I'm just an idiot. I'm an absolute idiot. Why would I give a monster of the night my sword? Ugh. 
but I got two bits of the staff though. That's actually more than I thought I'd get. I certainly sort of was pissing about in that first bit. And I just I I think I would have had three bits if I hadn't destroyed that bird back in the garden. But yeah, there you go. That's Night of the Living Dead. The Catacombs solo RPG, choose your own story, choose your own path book. Um, I would I play this again? Well, top points, I guess. Overall, it's an interesting concept, interesting story. Not a fan of the the two or three women that were sort of talked about were talked about about their appearance a lot. That's really frustrating. They assume that I am a male knight. And yeah, it was just, I will say, I've had to edit it a little bit. Not to, to make it a bridge, but there's also a lot of fluff in places, which maybe makes sense when you're reading it, but when you're saying it out loud, it just takes longer to get to the point. Those two really long prologues at the beginning, they set up the scene, but they take bloody ages. I wouldn't read those again if I was playing this again. I, I think I would play it again, but I definitely wish I had it as a, as a physical book and I would actually mark and be able to remember where I went and stuff. The fact you have like a comical like sidekick character uh, in the sense of you have a weasel skull, that was interesting. It is very dark in some places. And I know I have problems with pronunciations. I know I've pronounced several of the words and the sort of names of people wrong. And once again, there's no pronunciation guide at all. Like effluvian... How often does like a teenager actually says the word effluvium or abraxa? It is abraxa, I think. Harrant, I got. <sighs> oh, I'm just a bit cross. I, I got done in by a vampire. <laughs> but there you go. That is Night of the Living Dead. I think I might do some more of them. I did see there are a couple more of these solo RPG adventure like books, like choose your own path stuff from the same people. So I might try them out at another point uh, and we'll see how far we get. Or I might play this again. I might get Hamilton to play this uh, and see what he thinks. Thank you so much for listening and see you on the flip side. Mm-hmm.